Please take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. If you're visiting with us, uh, our steady diet of preaching at Grace Fellowship Church is what we call expositionally, verse by verse, through various books of the Bible. I finished the book of Philippians not too long ago, but it's also appropriate at times to take certain subjects. And so I've been preaching to men, a call for men to be godly. And men, I am directly addressing these messages to you. Some of the passages we're covering are directly addressed to you, as we'll see in Ephesians 5 today. But I've taken some passages that are meant for the whole church, but made specific application to us as men. For there is a need in the church of Jesus Christ, universal, and even in this church, local, for godly men to be raised up, men who are consecrated to the Lord, men whose hearts are holy toward the Lord, who are being sanctified, who are fleeing the things of this world, and loving God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. And so far in this series, I've called us men to be sexually pure men, spiritually industrious men, sober and sober-minded men, spirit-filled men, loving men, and now we've begun looking at the call to be loving husbands. And we've seen that men are called to be lovers, they are called to love Godly men are not insensitive and unaffectionate and uncaring. They are to be sympathetic, tender, kind-hearted. They are to be men of heartfelt compassion. And we've seen that spiritual, physical, and emotional strength doesn't exclude being sensitive and sympathetic, tender, understanding, and compassionate. The Lord Jesus Christ was characterized by love. And so should we men. We're to be like Christ. We're to be loving men with godly affections. But we're not just to be loving men. We are to be loving husbands. And so last time we began to focus on that very important love in the life of a married man by considering Ephesians chapter 5. Follow along as I read Ephesians 5 beginning in verse 25. Hear the word of God. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be made or that she would be holy and blameless." So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh." This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you 
also is to love his own wife, even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Now, last time in this passage, I gave you this outline. The command, the example, and then the description. The command to love, the example of love, and then the description of love. We covered the first two points last time. We saw the command for men to love their wives. Husband, love your wives. It's a direct address. It's to grab our attention. He is now speaking to a specific group of believers among this local church in Ephesus. And he says, men, here is your responsibility. Here's what God calls you to do. You are to love your wives. Don't abuse your God-given authority. Don't use it for sinful purposes. Instead, your leadership in the marriage relationship is to be loving leadership. And so we saw that love is the biblical environment where a marriage can grow. And husbands in particular are called to create, foster, and maintain this environment and atmosphere of love in the relationship that is most precious in the home. And that is a husband and wife. The marriage relationship. It's a command. Love your wives. It's in the present tense, which here gives the idea of something you are to continuously do. You're to do it now and continue to do it. You're to start loving your wife now and you are to continue to love your wife continuously at all times and in all situations. Not if, no conditions, it's not qualified, no love your wives. It's a choice and it's not based on the loveliness or lovability of your wife. She may be lovely, she may be lovable, but she's a sinner still. And your love for her is not based on her being lovable. It is based on Christ's love for his church. Husbands, love your wives. Choose to love your wives now and choose to continue to love them at all times, in all circumstances, and with no conditions. So that's the command. Then we saw the example of love. The love of Jesus Christ for his bride, the church. Husbands, love your wives, and here's the example, just as Christ loved the church. That should just grab our attention, men. This is not just one example or an example. This is the example of love. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so when... Paul, born alone by the Spirit of God, wants to give an example of that. He says, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. The words just as are words of comparison. Husbands, love your wives. Well, in what way? In this way. This word translated just as, the Greek word sometimes expresses the manner of, or sometimes the proportion or degree. And I believe it's all the import here. As we consider the love of Christ for his church, here's the manner and the degree to which you're to love your wife. 
You're to love your bride in like manner that Jesus has loved his bride, the church. And it is to be to a supreme degree, humanly speaking. Yes, he loves in a way that we as sinful human beings cannot. But yet it is to press us on to love with this kind of love. And so men, your love is to be in like manner and in likeness of the, to the degree that Christ loved and loves his bride, the church. And so I ended last time by saying, if we're going to do this, men, then we need to be gospel men. Men of the gospel, understanding the, the gospel, rejoicing in the gospel, always looking at this pearl of great price from every angle, learning more and more in the depths of God's love for us in Christ Jesus. And so men, for you to love your wives in this way, you must first be those who are believers, who have placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. It may be, men, if you say, I can't do this and and I've tried. Maybe you're not in right relationship to God through Christ. Maybe you've not been born again. Maybe you've not placed your faith in Christ. But if you are a believer, you know and believe the gospel. And your relationship to your wife must always be in light of that gospel. In light of the love of Christ for his bride, the church. And therefore, in this passage in Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul begins to now explain and describe Christ's love for his bride as an example for us to follow. And therefore, beginning in verse 25, in the middle of the verse, we have a description of Christ's love for his bride, the church, that we would follow that example and that pattern in our love for our wives. Notice the parallels. Verse 25, it says, just as, and then in verse 29, just as. In verse 25, we're to love our wives just as Christ also loved the church. And we're to relate to them just as, in verse 29, Christ does the church. We're to nourish and cherish our wives. Verses 25 to 27 demonstrate how Christ loved his church. Verses 30 and 31 explains why Christ nourishes and cherishes his church. And so you'll notice that there are two threads running throughout these verses. Christ and his church and then the husband and his wife. Husbands are addressed at the beginning of verse 25, but then it quickly turns to Christ in verses 25 to 27. Then husbands are addressed again in verses 28 and 29, and then it turns to Christ in verses 30 and 31. Verse 32 speaks of Christ and his church. But then verse 33, the husband and the wife. And, and these two threads, so to speak, are woven together in a beautiful way in this passage. They're woven together that we would see the glory of Christ's love for his church. And at the same time, we husbands would be instructed concerning how we then should love our wives. That relationship of Christ to his church is described as a covenant union. And so is the relationship of a husband and wife. We are united with Christ in an inseparable covenant union because of his great love for us. 
And in showing husbands how they are to love their wives, Paul describes this great love of Christ for his church. And in describing this, the apostle admits that he's really gotten caught up in characterizing that great spiritual union of Christ and his church. He says this mystery is great, this spiritual union of Christ and his bride, the church. He says, I'm speaking in verse 32 with reference to Christ and his church. You say, well, isn't he speaking to husbands? Yes, it's as though born along by the spirit of God, as he's been doing in this passage, he addresses women, wives, then men. Later, he'll address children. But as he addresses these roles in the home, he says, husbands, love your wives. How? Just as Christ loved the church. And then he's called up as a gospel man himself in the love of Christ for his bride, the church. And he says, we're to love in like manner. And so these two threads are are woven together. Why? Because marriage serves a unique purpose. Marriage glorifies God in a very unique way. It not only glorifies God as husbands and wives fulfill their God-ordained roles and responsibilities, but the marriage relationship points to something greater, namely Christ's relationship to his bride, the church. The Bible tells us in Colossians 1.16, that all things have been created through him and for him. Why did God create marriage? Well, one reason is certainly this. Not only just for his glory, but also that it might give him glory as it typifies, pictures, and illustrates Christ's love for his bride, the church. So let's look at this description of love by way of Christ's love for his bride, the church, and learn men from from his example. May our love for our wives be more and more, increasingly more like Christ's love for his church. So consider with me the description found in verses 25 to 31. Now we're not going to be able to To go through all these verses today, we're just going to do the first three of the four. How is it described? Christ's love for his bride is described as a sacrificial love, a particular love, a sanctifying love, and then next time we'll look at a nurturing love. I say a sacrificial love because in verse 25 it says he gave himself up for her. I say a particular love because it says he gave himself for her. Man, your love is to be set upon your wife in particular. It's a unique love. I say a sanctifying love because of verses 26 and 27. Modeled after the love of Christ for his bride, husbands are to love their wives with the goal of their sanctification and spiritual good in mind. And then we'll see next time in verses 28 to 31, it is to be a nurturing love, cherishing and nurturing his wife. So let's look at the passage in more detail and make application along the way. Christ's love for the church was a sacrificial love. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. 
It was a sacrificial love. Now, what do I mean by sacrificial? Well, obviously, Christ's love for his church was sacrificial in terms of redemption. He made atonement for their sins. He bore the wrath their sins deserved. That's not how I'm using sacrificial here. And I don't think how it's the the example that Paul is using here in the sense of Paul is not saying that you're to love your wife redemptively, that somehow your love for her is a redeeming love. No, your love for her is in like manner of the redeeming love of Christ. It is sacrificial. So by sacrificial in this context, I mean this, to give up something for the sake of another. To surrender, to forego, to forfeit something for the good of another. In this sense, men, we are to have a sacrificial love for our wives. Now, the supreme example of that is Christ's redemptive love for his bride, the church. If Christ so loved the church, men, how can we not love our our wives in like manner? In this sense, I mean sacrificial in the same way we would use the word selfless. Our love for our wives is to be selfless, sacrificial, and for her good. And Paul says we're to love our wives in this way, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for his bride. So men, we need to muse on that. We need to think about that. We need to consider that. I mean, think of all the places in Scripture that uses this language, that Christ gave himself, gave himself for the church. Galatians 1 verse 4, he gave himself for our sins. Galatians 2 verse 20, the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me, the Apostle Paul wrote. Or Ephesians 5, verse 2, walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. 1 Timothy 2, verse 6, Jesus gave himself as a ransom. Titus 2, verse 14, he gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed. When we come to the table of the Lord, We repeat the words of our Lord Jesus when he instituted the Lord's table. This is my body, which is given for you. Luke 22, verse 19. Christ's love for us was a sacrificial love. Yes, it was sacrificial in that it was an atoning death, a substitutionary death. Our love for our wives is not redemptive and sacrificial in that way. But Christ gave us gave up something for our spiritual good to redeem us. What did Christ give up? If we just think of the word sacrificial in that sense. Well, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. It tells us in Philippians chapter 2 that we're to have this same attitude, this same mind in ourselves, in us, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped or to be clung to, to be held on to. Instead, he emptied himself in the incarnation. Being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
Even as the Apostle Paul in Philippians 2 says, now church, you're to live in light of the humility of Christ in your relationships. You're to not do things from selfish ambition and empty conceit, but with humility of mind. You're to consider one another as more important than yourselves. Here, Paul would say the same principle applies, but in this unique human relationship of husband to wife, you're to humble yourself and sacrifice for her. And this takes humility, men. It requires us to kill our pride, to repent of pride, to stop seeking our own, and to always have at the forefront of our minds the spiritual good of our wives. Who do you treat as most important in your home? Men, yourself? Your children or your wife? You're to look out for the interest of your wife. You're to sacrifice for her. You're to live in such a selfless way that it would mirror in some way the selflessness of Christ who gave up the riches of glory and humbled himself and died a humiliating death on the cross to redeem us from our sin. You say, how much should I sacrifice for my wife? How selfless should I be in like manner that Christ humbled himself? The one who said that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Matthew 20, verse 28. If Jesus came to give up himself and to give himself as a ransom to redeem his bride, the church, if he would come not to be served, but to serve? And can we not serve our wives sacrificially? Men, we are not the kings of our homes. Jesus is king of our homes. And he came to serve. And as his servant, we are to be like him. Say, well, how can I serve her? Very practical way you can do that. You start by asking her, how can I serve you? For some of you, that means you help with the children more. It means you give her time out of the home. It means you give her time with other ladies for encouragement and fellowship. It means sometimes that you get a babysitter and spend time with her without the children. It means sometimes... You do that. Even when your children are crying and clinging to you, when you're about to walk out the door, you say what we often said to our children, it is good for mommy and daddy to spend time together. We love each other. And we want to spend time just with each other. And we taught our children that that was the primary relationship when we walked out the door, even though they're crying. So, but I don't have time for those things. No, you're choosing not to love her. Remember, spiritually industrious men, Ephesians 5, 15 to 17, that we're to make the most of our time, we're to redeem the time, and we're to use our time wisely, careful how we walk, that we're to understand what the will of the Lord is. We must 
order our time, our lives in such a way that it's consistent with the revealed will of God in Scripture. And this is the revealed will of God. Husbands, love your wives. If you don't have time to do that, it's because you're doing some things that are not the will of God. The verse says, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. How could we ever read that, men, and make excuses for why we can't love our wives? If Christ gave himself up for the church, can we not sacrificially love our wives? Christ's love for the church was voluntary. He willingly chose to love his bride, the church. It was not forced. It wasn't because he was obligated to. It was because he chose to. He poured himself out for his bride. And we're called to love in like manner. He gave himself up for her. So men, when you're tempted with pride and selfishness, look to Christ who willingly humbled himself for his bride, the church. Jesus Christ, the sinless one, the eternal one, the son of God humbled himself, became a man, became as one of no reputation, subjected himself to sinful men and went to the cross to bear our sins. If Christ so loved his bride, should we not love our wives sacrificially and selflessly? If the Son of God so humbled himself, not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for us, can we not humble ourselves and love and serve our wives? Must we be exalted, men, when Christ, out of unmerited and undeserved love for his church, was so humiliated? And when tempted to justify your lack of love and even your sins like impatience or anger because you think your bride has acted unbecomingly, consider the church, the sinful bride. Consider yourself. And yet Christ has loved you sacrificially. Argue in your mind and purpose to do so from the greater to the lesser. I mean, we're not Christ. If Christ so humbled himself and gave himself redemptively for us, can we not humble ourselves and love our wives sacrificially? And so this love that, that is set forth as an example is described here as a sacrificial love. But it's also described, secondly, as a particular love. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. I'm not preaching on limited atonement or particular redemption, but this verse teaches it. For those of you who know what I'm talking about, it is a particular love that Christ has for his people. Those chosen before the foundation of the world that he would come and lay down his life for. And our love for our wives is to be a particular love. God has called us men to follow in like manner this love of Christ for his people. 
He gave himself, Jesus gave himself for her. It was a particular love, an exclusive love. Yes, we speak of the love of God in generalities, but the benevolence of God. The sun today is falling on the just and the unjust, believers and unbelievers. And God is benevolent and kind that that kindness might lead sinners to repentance and condemn them if they do not believe on Christ. But his love for his church is a unique, particular love. And we're called to love generally. We're to love one another. We're to love our neighbors. We're to love our enemies. We're to love one another in the body of Christ. We're called to love all people. But the love described here is is unique. Because of that covenant relationship and all of what that entails and means. As the church is the special object of Christ's love, so also a man's wife is to be the special object of his covenant love. Husband, you are in covenant relationship with a particular woman who is your wife. And when you married her, you said that you would have her to be your wife. You said you would love her and lead her and comfort her and honor her and cherish her and forsaking all others. You would be faithful to her as long as you both shall live. And this is important to understand. Your love for your wife is to be a particular and unique and exclusive love. Don't violate that love by adultery. Be devoted to her and love her alone. This reaches back to those messages calling us to be sexually pure men. And here we have again the example of scripture that calls us to fix our eyes on our bride. Men, fix your love upon your bride. For God hates divorce and God hates adultery. In fact, he hates adultery so much that it is grounds to dissolve the covenant of marriage. We must see unfaithfulness and adultery for what it is. It is a violation of the covenant of marriage. And so, men, I just want to call you again in just reaching back to those messages on the call to be sexually pure men. That we are to set our love in a unique, particular way upon the wives that God has given to us. We are to love our wives, men, and it is to be unique. Love your wife and do not let your heart, your emotions, your eyes in a lustful way go toward anyone else. If you're here today and you're an unmarried man, I would speak to you, whatever your age, some of you young men, some of you even young boys, learn to control your passions now. Bring them under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Bring your passions and your desires into conformity with the word of God as revealed in sacred scripture. And be faithful to God and thus faithful to your future wife if God grants you marriage by being committed to sexual purity now. 
Because listen, if you don't pursue holiness, sexual purity now, then one day when your bride is not so lovely, because of sin or because of conflict or whatever it may be, your unbridled lust will lead your heart to another. Whether by an act of adultery with another or with the eyes or the mind or the internet or so on. And it will destroy you. So prepare your hearts for those who are unmarried men. Even now by being pure and holy in that area. And men, if you don't love your wives in this way, if you don't love her as Christ loves the church, then neglecting that love for her can be a temptation and a stumbling block for her. So I would just speak to you ladies, when your husband does not fulfill this role, you be careful. When he falls short in this area, you be careful that you don't begin to look and desire another man in your heart. Your husband is not perfect. He is not Christ. He will fall short. But that is no reason for you to place your love and affections on another. Men, you be men of holiness in this area. And you set your love exclusively upon your bride. For the love of Christ was a particular exclusive love for his bride, the church. But then we see it's a sanctifying love. Not only a sacrificial love, it's described in that way in a particular love, but it is a sanctifying love. Verses 26 and 27 so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he, that is Christ, might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she, that is his bride, the church, would be holy and blameless. Now here in these verses, we don't have time to unpack everything of what Paul is saying here. But in these verses, again, Paul is now just in a sense, lost in the greatness of Christ's love for his bride, the church. And and Paul would often do this. He's so saturated with the gospel that he can't write about anything without the gospel influencing it, without the gospel coming to light and coming to bear upon it. And so here he's writing about this sanctifying love that Christ has for his church, that he might sanctify her. And here, think of sanctification, not just as progressive sanctification, but definitive sanctification. The setting apart of this bride to himself and all of what that means. In what he did in redemption by giving himself to her, by then sweetly drawing his bride to himself and cleansing her by the washing of the water with the word, the preaching of the gospel, the general call of the gospel, and then effectually calling this bride to himself, and all that he might present to himself, this church in all her glory, ultimately working in her, yes, definitive sanctification and justification, and yes, progressive sanctification until one day she has no spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she would be holy and blameless even glorification on the final and last day 
And all this is in, I believe, Paul's mind as he's just in an economy of words thinking of all of what Christ has done that he might take a bride to himself that he might purify her, set her apart to himself and make her holy. Yes, in justification, in sanctification and in glorification. Christ has done this. He is doing this. He will do this eschatologically. This is sort of a summary, I think, of what all of what Christ is doing for his bride until a day of consummation when this bride is without any spot or wrinkle. The point is this, by way of application, Christ makes his bride holy. And husbands, in like manner, your love for your bride is to be a sanctifying love. You're to love her in such a way that is for her spiritual good, that will sanctify her, that will help her and her grow in Christ's likeness and holiness. See, my bride isn't spotless. She's not wrinkle-free. Then love her to that end. Love her in such a way that, that you point her to the great groom Christ who has loved her and made her a part of his church. Seek your bride's spiritual good. Love her with a sanctifying love. So how can I be used as an instrument of my wife's sanctification? Well, live in light of the gospel, men. Again, be gospel men. Let that be the basis for your relationship with her. And then start being a man and continue to be men of the word and growing in holiness yourself. Don't be an ungodly influence upon your wife. Be a a cause and a catalyst for, for holiness in her life. Make the church, the bride of Christ, a priority. Make the Lord's Day a priority. Take responsibility for being the spiritual leader in your home. And protect her from harmful teaching and doctrine and influences in relationships and in the world that would lead your bride astray. I mean, ask yourself this question. Is your wife more like Christ because of you? Or is the opposite true? You see, men, we serve a unique role in the marriage relationship. Men, you serve this unique role in your wife's life. God has designed that her spiritual growth be tied to your obedience to love her with a sanctifying love. Yes, God has given her other women to help her grow, Titus chapter 2. God has given pastors to preach the word and teach the word for her spiritual growth. God has given the fellowship of the body for her spiritual growth. Those are all important, but none of those relationships can replace the unique role that you play in her sanctification. Husbands, love your wives with a sanctifying love. Take the word of God and wash her with it. How do you do this? Again, I I just want to conclude this morning by calling you men to love God yourselves. 
We can't do this unless men, we are men who are being sanctified ourselves. We must stop loving, stop loving the world and money and worldly pleasures. We must be those who are dying to self and dying to sin. And we must bow the knee to the Lord Jesus and be growing and increasing in these holy, godly affections for our Savior. We must be increasing in these longings for the word of God, to read it, to meditate on it, to do what it says. We must love God and his word. And when a man does that, and then he directs his affections and his love upon his wife, then he will stir her up to love God and be sanctified. Men, when we're not loving our wives, we're not loving God. We can never say, I love my wife, while we're not loving God the way we should. And this is why we must be men of the gospel. Because how are our affections for God stirred up? They are stirred up by the gospel when we consider the great love of Christ for his bride. And that's what Paul is doing again in weaving these two things together. He's making statements about this great love of Christ for his bride, the church, that we would be so in capture, captured by that and our hearts would be so inflamed by that that then we would say, oh God, help me to love my wife even as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And in this way, men, we love our wives. May it be a sacrificial love, a particular, exclusive love, and a sanctifying love that stirs her up to holiness and love for God. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father, we pray today for ourselves as men, and we see how we fall short in these things, Lord, we are sinners still. We thank you for a great Savior, Lord, who has given himself for us for the forgiveness of our sin. Father, I pray that we would be those and we would be men, that we would be husbands who live in light of the gospel we would be men who know and understand the doctrine of salvation and soteriology. For that impacts how we live and, and how we love our wives. I pray that we'd be men who understand ecclesiology, the doctrine of the church. For this impacts how we are to love our wives. Father, I pray that we would be men who are putting self to death by your grace, men who are being sanctified ourselves, men who are growing in holy loves and who love you with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. And I pray that our affection would be set upon the wives you have given to us in this marriage union, this marriage covenant. Father, I pray that we would be pure and holy men 
who would give our time, who would give effort by your grace and Lord, attention to to sanctifying our wives with your word, to leading by loving our wives, even as Christ has loved his church. And Father, in this way, we pray that our wives would flourish and grow and glorify you and that our marriages would glorify you. And that ultimately all of this would point to our great Savior who gave himself for his bride, the church, for all things have been created by you and for you. May our marriages bring glory to your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.